We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Holiday tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. There's something celebratory about bubbles. Our ridiculous selection of champagne and sparkling wines will make the holidays pop. Who couldn't use a friendly wine elf? I can help you find the perfect bottle at just the right price. Deep frying a turkey this year? A rich and earthy Chateau Neuf de Pop would make an interesting pairing. Whether you're entertaining or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection with you. This holiday, now offering same-day delivery at TotalWine.com. Cheers! And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 169. I'm Mr. Lopin, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, he's Frances Tomas, and have we got a fun show ahead. We're talking kids in La Ronda today, Frances. Well, Barcelona's kids in particular. We enjoyed the lightning round last week, but the questions didn't lean themselves to that this time. So we have got some good discussions to be had today. Are you ready, Frances? I am absolutely ready. Pleasure to be here again. Let's go. So we got our first question. It's a combination from Michael from Patreon and a question from Eric. Could the performances of Jean-Claire Tadibo, Carlos Alenia, and Musawage against Inter Milan keep them at the club through January? I think those are individual ones, Frances, so we can go one by one if you'd like. I guess we're going to start with Musawage. It seems like he's going to be at the club, right? I haven't heard anything that he would be leaving the club. No, no, I haven't left. I haven't heard anything about him leaving either. Um, to be honest, I don't know why those three names are the ones that were chosen uh, by our listeners, but obviously let's let's answer the question. I think overall the game was good. Um, I think overall Valverde tried one of his experiments and actually worked out, mainly because of the players' dedication and mainly because of the fact that they wanted to impress and shine. Um, Having said that, I don't think Huawei was actually that great. Um, I think that, you know, whoever, whenever, I, I was a fullback when I was playing um, on a week-in, week-out basis, and uh, playing with two centre-backs is easy. Playing with three centre-backs behind when you're a fullback is is the best situation you're ever going to have. And uh, to be honest, defensively, he was never really going to struggle with three people behind you. 
But moving forward, I don't think he associated well enough. Um, I, to be honest, I compare him a little bit with Ju- with Junior on the other side. I don't think either of them was too impressive moving forward. And uh, considering the fact that they had so much backup behind, I was expecting more in terms of association and in terms of um, joining him more freely. Uh, I, I don't. Don't, don't get me wrong, I don't want to start the, the, the show in a downer, but I don't think he was that great, particularly Huawei. Well, I can tell you the reason for those three names being chosen is because those are the three guys who need playing time to improve this season. I think Fati has been getting his minutes, and we'll get his the question about Fati is coming up right next. But uh, when it comes to those three, again, those are the three youngsters that uh, in their early 20s or teenager that need the time to improve as players. So that's why Wage was on this list. And I do agree with you, I think, of your evaluation of, of Wage in yesterday's match. I thought, I, I said to the guy, I, I went and thanks to the uh, FCB New York City Pena in the city, I went to go watch the game there. And I said to the guy next to me that Wage seems to have a ton of his passes blocked, not just crosses, mm-hmm. but just a ton of his passes blocked. Um, and I think for him, and I think it, the same goes for all three of these, Tadebo, Lenya, Wage, and even to a point, Firpo, it's still an evolution. Playing at Barcelona with the players that they play with takes some time. And when you're mm-hmm. not getting regular game time, I don't expect Wage to have a perfect performance. Anytime that a guy is sitting on the bench and only plays in his second or third match in a, in a, in a six-month period, uh, you're not going to expect it's going to be a sparkling performance. It's going to be something that's a work in progress. And I can say the same, uh, the same thing for all three of these guys. Wage, of the three, though, I, I think was the one who... You know, his team won. You're right. He had a lot of defensive cover. uh, And then going forward, he was still trying to figure the game out. So he gets, what, a C, C plus, B minus from me for the game. I mean, it was was fine. No big mistakes. But in the same regard, yeah, could definitely have done more. But I I think in January, he's expected to stay at the club just because of uh, the fullback rotation the way it is. And Semedo's been dealing with injuries. Alba's been dealing with injuries and all that. That said, for Carlos Alenia, this is just his now second appearance in, uh, I mean, it was how many days? It's been months since we last saw Carlos Alenia. Four months. And yeah, I, four months. Four months, yeah. And I thought he was really good. I mean, the 45 minutes against Athletic Bilbao, uh, the people, I think, are trying to rectify or find reasoning why Valverde is not choosing Alenia. Uh, and it merely could have been other guys on the pecking order more than that he's not seeing something from Alenia to the point where he belongs on the bench, if that makes any sense. Where when it comes to Elena, it's not that he's not deserving. It's just that Valverde finds so many other players more deserving in those minutes and at and in that time. And his development is not taking a back seat to Barca getting results, which totally makes sense. You're not going to, if the coach believes that other players are going to get you a three points or a result, then you go with them uh, over the guy who needs time to still develop. And there were moments yesterday when Elena... Uh, clearly, again, uh, not to defend him, and James Coulet had a really good counter-argument as to why Alenia was struggling to keep possession with the ball, was not as physical as he needed to be, and which is missing some easy passes, particularly in the second half. But again, I think match fitness is so important. And for a guy like Carlos Alenia that works and flows, that's why we say he looks like he has that Barca DNA, he's a guy that has to find a match and find his footing in a match. And you're never going to do that if you play once every four months. So uh, not to make an excuse for Elena, but again, I think match fitness is is so, so crucial to him being able to give his best. And I thought for a guy who hadn't played in four months that, you know, he had a really good day, uh, did Elena yep. with collecting passes. And then the best of the bunch, I think, was Jean-Claire Tadebo. I think, you know, I had said he was my man of the match. It felt like throughout the match he was a man of the match. And then all the advanced metrics, you know, as me, as, I, as my 
you know, as I have my little calculator pen and I push my glasses up, you know, and I look at all my nerd numbers, he even they said that he was the best player. Uh, he he was at the center of it all, dealing with Lukaku and Latoro Martinez, who was fantastic in this in, in that match against Inter Milan. It, not that he barely put a, put a foot wrong, but his dribbling and distribution with the ball, it's just, it's leaps and bounds. It, it's, he's not obviously the defender that Langley is or that Umtiti can be or is or that PK is, but Tadebo's ability to move forward, particularly he had that dribble in the second half where he went 45 yards, just got out of trouble on his own with Ter Sagan, his only support, got out of his own trouble and then got 45 yards off the field. That opens up the whole thing. When you're able to have a center back, and yes, they were playing three at the back, so in theory, he could, it was really a defensive midfielder move. But but when you can go 45 yards with a center back, that puts the, uh, the opposition on the farthest back heel that you can get them on and opens up so many of those spaces on the wings. And that's what he did. And when we talk about spacing, we talk about movement, we talk about speed. Those are all the things that he brings to that match. Is he better than PK? No. Is he better than Lele and TT? Still not yet. He's still developing. But he had, in, for me, an A, A-plus performance. Uh, and the only reason he's leaving wouldn't be leaving in January is because it's a business decision, right? And, and I don't understand why if you pay three million plus over the summer for Reese for Barcelona B to add that the, the Dutch midfielder to the to the B team, you're going to pay more than three million for him. And then what if you only get ten to fifteen for Tadebo, who could be a future stalwart of your center back as as the right center back? to be eventually PK's replacement. I, it doesn't seem like a good piece of business, but if they really need the money that much, Tadipo's the first name to go. Yeah, I think if Barca need money, what they need to do is offload Rakitic and Arturo Vidal. That, those are the two that basically are in the in the final years of their career. Those are the ones that still, yesterday, both of them performed to a decent to good level. And um, it, that, those are the ones that you can make business with. I think... Alanya, without a shadow of a doubt, should have played much more this season. Um, I don't think he was incredible yesterday, but you know, you've explained that well, so I'm not going to go back to that too much. Just to say that he clearly understands what Barca is about. He understands positioning. Um, he understands the passing. He understands the tempo. And of course, he's going to be a bit rusty, but I think he's more than a valid player. And I think Alanya should stay. I mean, the thing is, as we said in the, in the show last week, that if he doesn't play, obviously he needs to look for a for a way out in order to develop even further. But, you know, he can be more of a Valley player. And if he hasn't played anymore, I was listening to uh, the Valverde press conference just before uh, we started recording. And, and what Valverde said is that basically what you said, he's been picking other, other people that um, he, he thought that were going to perform better at the time. But obviously, even Valverde himself admitted that he should have given Alenia more minutes. But there just wasn't a, a way to, to find them. In terms of Todibo, I think he was great and uh, much better than Umtiti was because the, the French World Cup winner, this is Umtiti, obviously, was shaky and shocking throughout the whole game. And uh, Todibo was good. Todibo was good. And I think he was more than, he has more than cemented his place in the squad um, as a third or fourth backup and centre-back. So no, no shadow of a doubt for me, should, they should both stay because they're not really going to generate that much money coming in anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of minutes, George and Joe both asked, where was Ricky Puj against Inter Milan? And what was Ansu Fati's minutes? I'm just going to handle this one, Frances. Uh, before Ernesto Valverde in his presser that he had with Junior Firpo, which was, uh, it was interesting to have Firpo in that seat, but usually it's going to be a starter in the next game. So that's why Firpo was able to do the press conference with Valverde. But that said, uh, he mentioned that 
Ricky Puj had played a difficult match on the weekend with Barcelona B. In the third division, they play on Sundays, so that didn't leave much recovery time for Puj. Uh, and again, there were guys like Alenia who aren't even featuring, and they're in the first team. And obviously, while Puj probably is good enough to be in the first team, he's still with Barcelona B, so that's why he didn't get any minutes. And I want to remind you as well that Unlike previous seasons, the Copa del Rey isn't starting until the new year for Barcelona. They don't enter the Copa del Rey until later now. So that's why you haven't seen Puj at all yet. At this time last season, he was getting some Copa del Rey minutes. And more on that in a second. And then at the end of the season, he got some bench appearances and was able to feature uh, when the league was already wrapped up, which unfortunately that might not happen this year, the way that the table is going. And when it comes to Ansu Fati, he was just coming back from an injury. So that's why he came off the bench as a sub and you know what he did as much as he possibly could with those minutes youngest goal scorer in Champions League history uh, is awesome uh, I think Ansu Fadi is so funny he's fulfilling all of these different uh, parameters and you know I don't need to praise him I don't need to speak him up or overhype him he just keeps setting these records and I'm just going to take it all in and keep enjoying it and that's all I can say about Fati. but Eric asks uh, on a more wary note do you think the performance against Inter Milan mean anything for the upcoming matches against Real Sociedad on the road and Real Madrid for El Clasico, or is it a one-off kind of game? I think it's a one-off. Um, basically, it was a game that Barca could definitely afford to lose. Um, I think that the formation that Valverde used, uh, hopefully it's not an experiment of things to come, uh, because you know the Barca was pretty much unrecognizable for ho- most of the game. Um, even though that the players still have the right sort of ingredients and, and they made the upper part of, of the pitch, if, if you want to call it that, actually resemble something Barcelona-like, um, despite it being an away game. Um, I think that um, the fact that, obviously, the players that had to prove their worth mostly did, um, and, and a win was achieved far away from the Camp Nou at European level, that's also going to be a positive. And I think that overall... Um, moving forward, that's going to improve everyone's morale. But um, I do think that it's a one-off sort of side dish because of the significance of the match, which was next to none. Yeah, there were, there were these little nuggets in there. Uh, like for the first goal, Antoine Griezmann is setting up in a position that he wouldn't normally be setting up if Messi's on the field. And his distribution, he was just getting more on the ball and be the decision maker and make more decisions going forward because of Messi not being on the field. And I thought Griezmann was good in that role particularly, again, playing off Arturo Vidal, who kept going forward. And then Carlos Perez, who also had a really, really good game for me, and not just with the goal, but just switching off and not normally playing in a front two as he did. So uh, Carlos Perez, hats off to him. Though to the point of the one-off, I disagree just slightly, almost to a point where we, we don't need to debate this, we don't need to have an argument about it. But I felt like two years ago, that game against Levante, that they lost, that stopped the undefeated season. That was when Yuri Mina was put into that game. That one felt like much more of a one-off where I was looking at the, the 11s from a bunch of different matches, including the Copa del Rey match starring Denise Suarez and Ricky Puj against Cultural Leonesa last year, and then late last season when the league was already won against Huesca, Celta, and Ibar. Those were basically full 11s, put in all the subs, empty your whole bench, and bring up B-team players. And those For those five matches that I'm mentioning, this lineup that we saw was a little more of a mismatch of not just, again, there were no Barca B players in this match. It was all fringe first-team players, or not even or, but then we also saw Suarez and De Jong come in the second half along with Fati. You saw Vidal get to start, obviously, alongside Rakitic in the midfield. So if that with those two in the midfield, and then Kwasalina is also a first-teamer, there are nuggets, and again, at pieces 
of performances. Even Junior Firpo again getting the start. Uh, then Neto, the backup goalkeeper, getting a start in net. And Umtiti and Lele also starting. Uh, so when you piece it all together, uh, you have a ton of Barcelona regular role to players and contributors. So I think unlike previous years, even with a Copa del Rey, where it's just a mismatch of complete Barca B and, and, and bench players, this was a hybrid of those two. So I think there were uh, little pieces of form that hopefully certain players can work things out. And I, I think it was a valuable uh, value opportunity individually. But uh, last question before we do the ad break, Igor asks, and this is why I think it's a one-off, what do you think of the 5-3-2 formation? Uh, I don't think it's a great idea moving forward. I think it was the perfect situation for the personnel that was available to Valverde, and he got the result against a team that was, I think, better actually on top-level talent on the field. Now, Griezmann might have something to say about that. But I thought that Inter Milan were the team that were, not only did they have to be hungrier, but they needed the result. And Barca still wound up beating them when they were in second gear because they went with guys who were younger and they were hungrier. And so I think the 3-5-2 formation fit that perfectly. But that said, let's throw that in the trash because once all the regular players are back in, once Messi's back in the squad, yeah, that 5-3-2, I agree with you, Frances, makes absolutely no sense. But it was fine for this match. That's in that way, it's a one-off. Sure, it is, it is. Um, but then I was thinking that even before we started recording. Yeah, so the 5-3-2 formation probably would have seen us through to the Champions League final last time round because with the advantage we came from the first leg against Liverpool in the Camp no, that probably would have done enough. But then again, you know, hindsight is a great benefit to have, isn't it? Um, I just don't think that formation suits what Barca is, what Barca stands for, and what Barca fans want to see. Um, and also with the game yesterday... You know, if uh, Lautaro, well, it's not even Lautaro, if, if Neto actually doesn't make that many saves, um, Lautaro is as mobile as he was and is a little bit more lucky hitting the back of the net and Ansu Fati doesn't come and, and basically is touched by a magic wand and turn the game around, maybe we lose that game and the, you know, we will be much more critical and um, criticizing the, the tactic in itself. I think that as an, as an analyst, as fans really, we cannot really sort of depend on what the result says, what the score sheet says. It's more about the feelings and the feelings of the matches that Inter, it was an exchange of, of, of punches throughout the whole game and Barca came on top because of the inspiration of Ansu Fati. But um, Inter, de, Inter de Milan should have won that game at home and uh, we didn't dominate it. So there's different thoughts, really. Uh, I'm a little bit muddled up uh, because, you know, we did win the game. So it feels like I'm just mourning for the sake of mourning here. But honestly, I don't think Barca were that much better than Inter at all. And with a team with more quality and consistency in front of us, we may have lost the game easily. And uh, if the three points came back to, to Catalonia, that's mainly because of Neto. And yeah, let's leave it there. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they should have been better than Inter because Barca had won the group and they were going with players that were not match fit because they don't really play that much. And somehow Actually. the result was, was still collected. Uh, yeah, and Ansu Fadi with that cut in the middle of the field. I expect to see that a ton more times. And there, you say magic, and that is what that kind of goal was. He had the one-two with Suarez, uh, and it didn't have the same curl as Messi's against Mallorca on the weekend, but it was almost a carbon copy of what we saw, where just he just moves laterally across the top of the 18, and then finds the, basically finds corner pocket off, off, a, off a, just a wall pass from Luis Suarez. And it was, uh, again, almost a carbon copy of what Messi did, uh, very Messi-esque. And so it's not a comparison to Messi, but certainly he's even 
absorbing through uh, osmosis or in training. He's learning something from from Messi, and that is a great sign too. So all the positive things uh, on performance of Ansu Fadi coming in, and I think some good performance from us so far before the ad break. Let's see if we can end this show the same way we started. Let's head to the ad break now. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to Geico. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. All right, coming back out of the ad break, we're going to have to get over the hurdle that is talking about Ernesto Valverde, Frances. Here we go. Jorge asks, has this changed anything for Ernesto Valverde? Does he now have more of a chance of staying on pass next summer? Actually, now that I read this again, I don't think this is that hard of a question. I think you and I are going to agree. Yeah, no, it doesn't make any difference. No. Uh, (laughs) No difference whatsoever. I think that it gives him a breather. It gives the team as a whole a breather. And um, it's a recognition for... Basically, the hard work, determination that players who don't normally play showed at a European level. Um, I think it improves their own caches, their own individual sort of CVs um, for prospective buyers um, when the transfer window opens. I don't think it changes anything in terms of Alberta's future now. Yeah, I agree. I think for Valverde, I mean, next Wednesday, El Clasico decides a whole lot more towards his future. But in in reality, he won his group. Now it's time for the knockout season of the Champions League. And that's going to, if, if it is still in question, I think, between him and the board, which I don't think it is. I think, as I've been saying for a while, if he didn't leave last summer, he'll be leaving this summer regardless. It's his third season, and they'll bring in a new face no matter what. Uh, just because three years is a long time. And this is speaking from Valverde. It's almost as if he survived getting the axe. I think being the Barcelona manager for three seasons is a, is a lifetime, especially in today's climate when you have the pressure the pressure of being the manager of a team with Lionel Messi. And that does take a lot out of somebody both, uh, you know, personally and then obviously publicly as well. So I think Valverde, either way, he's out this summer, regardless of what happens, win or lose. But all that said, if there is going to be something to happen midseason, which I don't think there is, it's going to happen because of the result on next Wednesday and not because of a, a match where the group was already wrapped up. So, yeah, I think yeah, this is no, So with that, Dan, if you look at it, really coldly so if he, for who, someone who is not as passionate as we are and are as listeners are Barca have qualified for the next round as first of the group and they're leading La Liga so yeah. how are you going to suck it he's staying right exactly right and again I, I would implore people I did a YouTube video a few weeks ago about when Barcelona managers get sacked and I'd spoken about that was very good Dan. thank you I really thank enjoyed you. that when it came to the guys who are who were removed mid-season, whether it's Louis van Gaal or Carlos Reyshak, they were removed from their positions because Barcelona, not only were they not in first, but they were barely qualifying for Europe at the time. And they had lost something, what was it, eight of their first 14 or, or, or some ridiculous number that tells you that, that Barcelona were languishing and things were not working. But clearly, as I said, the results for Barcelona, as you just mentioned, show that some things are working regardless of whether or not it makes people happy to see it on the field. And particularly because their form has had such an, an uptick over the last three weeks now, performances against Mallorca, and then really getting through that performance against Atletico and Dortmund. Uh, and, you know, I don't, they, weren't, they weren't obviously sparkling performances from Barcelona, but they beat good teams. And I, I think that says a lot. 
Now, question, uh, speaking of squad rotation from Yogev and Charlie had a similar idea here. Does this squad rotation in the easier games, that being in quotes, give us a better chance to go at the champion or go deeper in the Champions League later on in the competition? Yeah, yeah, of course, because uh, the players will be more rested. And, you know, if any, I don't want to go for bad weather here, but say a major injury happens to one of our key players, you know that the ones behind are rested and ready to jump on. So I think that is, that is a positive, without a doubt. Yeah, I had a similar idea too, that with an older squad, uh, Barcelona is an older squad in the Champions League, uh, because they have all these established players, they need more squad rotation and they need more rest than some other teams that can just go out with the same starting 11s. We were looking at the uh, RB Salzburg against Liverpool uh, lineup and that team had, what was it, two players in the starting 11 older than 25 years old. Uh, and then Barca, even to put in all their subs yesterday, they're trotting out, obviously Griezmann is in his late 20s and uh, other than that, yeah, it was a pretty young lineup. But then you look at Vidal and Rakitic, guys that are over 30. They were also getting the start yesterday when you were supposed to be putting in all your fresh young faces. So even Barcelona yeah. on the fringes of their first team. With, with that, and I think it was more of a shopping window. I think that because we're playing Inter and they have both, basically both players have attracted interest from different teams in Italy, but certainly Inter themselves. I think it was more about, look at what these guys can do. And um, if you want them, come and, come and pay up, basically. Um, I think that was the reason why they both played, and Ricky Puig especially was left out. Yeah, and on the same lines as that, I think if Latoura Martinez was uh, trying out, apparently the reports were that Eric Abidal and uh, Barcelona met with some of the representatives at Inter Milan, and they were put off by the 100 million euro price tag on Latoura Martinez. But of what I've seen him, I think this is, what, the fourth match I think I've seen him in this season. I saw some Serie A, then the two with Barca. This match was his best of the bunch, and I thought that he showed that he's worth 100 million euros. And that's how much in this, in this climate and in, in, the, in the way that the transfer numbers work now, 100 million euros for a sub-23 striker that's scoring double digits in Europe. I know it's a lot of qualifiers, but that player is worth 100 million euros. And Latoro Martinez showed yesterday that he has a rounded game, an all-around game, and I think he's much improved even from what we saw last year at Inter Milan. Uh, so that yep. player is going to cost $100 million, and Barca are either going to have to pay up or they're going to have to figure out how to offload players and make some money, uh, or they're not going to be able to bring him in, and they're going to have to figure something else out. But yeah, if they want a number nine, that's how much it's going to cost. So uh, I, I think, yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but again, they're going to have to figure out how to raise those funds. Yep, and uh, even simplifying all that, would you rather have Coutinho or Lautaro? Would you rather have Griezmann or Lautaro? Would you rather have Dembele or Lautaro? And all of those three players cost more than 100 million euros. So I think that's pretty obvious. He reminded me of a sort of young, agile Luis Suarez. Um, I think his fight, his, um, his stability, his, the way that he used his arms. And, uh, you know, he was facing three different centre-backs. And it looked like he was facing nobody. You know, Umtiti, as I said earlier, had a shaky, shocking game. But it was mainly caused because of him. And, and to be honest, Lukaku's physicality sort of right next to him actually helped him a lot. But um, there were several plays that were just purely self-made by Lautaro Martinez himself. Um, I was very, very impressed. Yeah. Uh, now, just to close out the question from Yogev and Charlie about the squad rotation for the easier games, the one caveat I want to add to this is that Football is so much more than, and this is coming from someone who obviously didn't play, but I've been around professional players and some of the work that I've done uh, and with conversations with them, you talk about a lot of variables and all the other factors that go in 
to life outside of the game and player relationships and who these players are as individuals. And Barca mm -hmm. is certainly the apex of that. So when you look at younger players who may not be married or maybe dating or let's say a girlfriend breaks up with them, and I know that shouldn't matter, but there are so many factors where a player maybe on a plane ride it has a headache and doesn't get to sleep well or isn't just physically not recovering or is under the weather, gets sick. Uh, and it might not be flu-like symptoms that keep them out of a game because every player, even with if I'm if I'm sick and I'm getting called up to play the camp, no, I'm going to play when I'm coughing. You know, if they give me the green light, I'm going to be on the field if I'm chosen because it's playing for Barca. Uh, and so when I, I think when it comes to all the other factors outside of just just the pitch, uh, we go into that. And the, the whole thing that Valverde has to do for being the man manager that he is, and this is the biggest question about rotation even, if he can rotate and give confidence to these younger players, if an injury that you spoke about does happen, if these players have the confidence to go in on the second half of the season and nothing in life affects them when they walk onto that field because of Ernesto Valverde instilling in them the positivity that they need to have to be good performance in those matches, well, then he's done his, his job. And that's going to be Valverde's, again, his toughest task now for the third straight year. It's to somehow reverse this mentality and to individually make sure that uh, at least 10 of the 11 guys on that field are not thinking about other things, are not mopey or having the kind of day that's not going to have a good performance. Because we saw now two straight seasons where too many players didn't have their best on the exact same day. And it led to these calamitous matches and it led to these calamitous results for Barca in the Champions League. Yeah, so I think it comes to one-off things. It could be just we wake up excited to watch that match. All we have to do is sit down and find a television. But for these players, I mean, yeah, God forbid they all wake up and they don't have their best on a, on a given day. And all of this rotation, all of the things you work for, all the formations, all the experimenting, that winds up meaning nothing. Uh, again, just because one guy caught a cold in, 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 in the Basque country and now, and now four or five players on the team all have a little, uh, all have some kind of head cold. And that and those things happen, and that's unfortunate. But there are all those variables that you that you have to take into account, and those aren't excuses. That's how that's how managers get canned. Carlo Ancelotti wins the group for Napoli, uh, or not wins the group, but qualifies for the next round of the Champions League, and Ancelotti is out hours after the game just because it just wasn't working. Yeah, of course, of course, um, totally agree. I think that the point you made about professionalism, I think it's got to do with with environment. Um, professional players. And uh, especially the ones that are professional but actually succeed and, and have got long-term careers. They've got a stable sort of entourage around them. Um, and they know what they're there for. They have worked hard to get there. You know, some people are just gifted. You know, they, they are born with a magic sort of spell on them and things become, become easy. But unless, regardless of whether you're talented or not, unless you put in the work and you've got um, stability to what you do, uh, it's, it's very difficult to, to succeed, especially in the long term. If you think about, say, Dembélé, for example, living with his best friends in Barcelona while you're 23 and single, basically, and all your friends are single, and there's plenty of video games, pizza, and other stuff floating around, then it's very, very easy to get distracted, isn't it? I mean, I've been 23, and I, I was in a privileged position, like, like for example, Dembélé is, and... I can see how things can be distracting. Yeah. Um, but then you compare that to, say, Rakitic, for example, or you can compare that to Messi himself. You know, it's just it's about mentality, it's about environment, and it's about creating a good situation for yourself so that you can reap the benefits um, in years to come and, you know, with the money these people get paid for the rest of your life.
Yep, yep. And if you're a young player, you just have to look at the life and the way these older players that have succeeded for 10 plus years in the professional game and are playing at such a high level for such a long time, you take their example in how they live their lives. And that's an important part of it. Now, speaking of Messi, James asks, why does Valverde seem to understand his tactics without Messi, but can never make the most of a lineup with him in the biggest moments? That's a tough one. It, it is. Um, I'm actually, <laughs> this may be a first, <laughs> definitely a first this season. I'm actually going to defend Valverde on this one. Um, I think that's more on the other players than it is on the coach or even Messi himself. Um, I'll give you a clear example yesterday. Um, I thought uh, Carlos Perez was one of the very best players we had out there. He was one of the most surprising. And um, out of everything he did, obviously, he was dynamic. He was hungry. He was running into spaces. He, he was associating. And he was doing everything that we know he can do. I mean, he's not someone who's going to sort of steal the spotlight. But it is someone that can definitely add to the team. Um, but the, the, the best uh, skill, the best trait that he showed was the fact that as soon as he had a chance, he shot it. Um, there was um, a couple of runs that you couldn't really see that he was going to take a shot on goal and he, they just went in. Um, fair enough and granted, in the last play he should have passed um, the ball across and that would have been a goal probably Frankie would have scored it. But regardless, I like the fact that um, someone as young as Carlos Perez can take that much responsibility, shooting from, from range, shooting from, you know, from outside the area, from inside the area. If Messi had been on the pitch, most of those balls that any other players, but certainly Carlos Perez showed on goal, would have been passed back to Messi. And, and to be honest, that's really easy to defend against. Um, I know we've gone a whole show without mentioning Neymar. I think that's why Neymar is needed or was needed in the 2015 season, uh, because he creates his own shots, he takes responsibility, and he's a main man. Um, any, anyone that has tried to replace the Neymar void since has bowed down to Messi's give it back to Messi sort of strategies. And, and that makes us too easy to defend and too predictable. So I think it's on everyone else to take responsibility even when Messi is there. Um, I don't think that the blame is on Messi for demanding the ball. The, the guy doesn't demand the ball. It's just naturally because of his uh, stature, because of his persona, because of his experience. Uh, when things are difficult, people tend to, to look on Messi and to sort of rely on him. But it's up to the others to step up. And I think that's what makes the key difference yesterday. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm really on board to that. That there is the reliance on Messi, and I uh, also thank you for plugging the came out on Monday about my predictions for Barcelona in 2023. And there's a lot of names that we were speaking about in uh, from that match against Inter Milan that I hope are still in the team then. But yeah, I begrudgingly backed into Neymar because when it comes to players who want to come back from to the camp, no. And uh, once Messi's gone and Suarez is gone, uh, I thought Lautaro Martinez would be a good pick. But as far as Griezmann and Neymar. Uh, and Fati, it seems like that would be a, a future four pairing. So I give a little bit away, but uh, go see the rest of it to see who I fill the rest of the team out with. All right, so we end the show with a pretty difficult question from Rick. And this one is about El Clasico. There is a report from Goal that El Clasico might be forced to be postponed again. They are, they are announcing that they are planning massive pro-independence protests hours before El Clasico. Uh, and then Rick does say, gives us the out, and says, although I understand you guys don't want to make this podcast political, you are correct, Rick, but bear with me being devil's advocate here. While Barca is cherished as a symbol of Catalan independence, at the same time, does it negatively affect the club as well, as in indefinitely postponing big games like El Clasico, which directly hurts fans who plan to watch the match live? Um, 
Well, I, I think that there is a separation, Rick, and this is a cop-out. We did speak about this a few weeks ago as well when El Clasico was postponed the first time. Uh, again, uh, I am of the mind that by having by separating football and sport, it is a difficult thing to do. But when it comes to causing an issue and having and being dangerous and and if, in case there is violence there, that that harms not only the football and it becomes more about football, but uh, it, it damages the reputation of the city. It damages the reputation of uh, a lot of the people when it, when both the club and the governments have all called for dialogue. Uh, yeah, and it's not that I'm taking, I'm not taking an anti-protest stance, but uh, I think if there are, is enough violence and enough police to be on hand that would require El Clasico to be postponed uh, in the same way, you know, both the club and people in Barcelona have said that maybe this, the El Clasico might not have needed to be postponed the first time, and it was merely a safety measure. So uh, this time around, there is planning that needs to be done by the city, and they will have the security and they will have the resources they need to try to make sure that this winds up being a safe environment uh, for everybody involved. Because, you know, going to the camp, no, it's at its best when there are women and children and, and men and everybody of all the different shapes and sizes and, uh, and everyone can just unify there at the Camp No. And I think that's the one thing I'll finish that by saying is that Barcelona is a beacon, not only of Catalan independence, but of Catalonia, of the Catalan people. And what a better way to celebrate Catalonia and the Catalan people to all come together at the Mecca uh, of, of football to celebrate uh, just the, a unification of everybody together in that stadium in Catalonia. Yep. Um, difficult one. I do not see the classical being postponed again. Um, as I said, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I think it was now. Um, I don't think it should have been postponed the first time anyway. I think that the vast majority of protests that the Catalan people have done over the four, five, ten previous years They've been peaceful. Obviously, it sells more newspapers and it generates more clicks to, you know, put the picture of the guys that are burning things around the city. And, you know, that is regrettable. It is, it's just wrong. And um, it should just not happen. But, you know, when you've got a group of 30, 40, 50 people doing this and you've got one million people protesting in, in, in silence and, and peacefully, then it seems to it seems to be a little bit one-sided to just show one side of the argument. Um, also, the the other thing that I would add is that they, the the Spanish and Catalan authorities have had plenty of time to organize themselves so that a classical can happen. Obviously, I think it's going to be the amount of people that's going to be the problem. Um, around the Camp Nou, there are mainly two or three, but mainly two metro stations that you can you can access. Um, if there are that many people, I think the getting to the stadium by car or actually by bus is going to be virtually impossible. So I, th I would say the metro is going to be the best bet and then walk it, you know, walk for 15, 20 minutes to the stadium through the crowds in order to get there. Uh, I don't foresee it being dangerous. Um, I would say that I would like to think that Catalan people are not that stupid to actually knowing that all the cameras around the world are going to be facing them. Uh, and do something, something silly in front of the cameras. I really don't see that. And uh, I wish and I hope and I am 99.99999% sure that it's going to go ahead and it's going to go ahead in a peaceful manner and that the message that the protesters want to share will be shared appropriately. Yep, and I think that's a good place to leave it. Uh, again, uh, Frances is the, the born Catalan. 
and I am not. Uh, but again, we stay apolitical as we can on this podcast, regardless of of, of where other people might stand. So uh, again, I appreciate that question, Rick. You're making us think uh, and just giving our two cents. Uh, and again, I hope we answered that question adequately. And I hope we had a pretty good podcast, an adequate podcast as well, Francis. That's what we're aiming for, right? Not great, but just like in, uh, Valverde's five-three-two formation, we're just looking for adequate. No, we're aiming for great. <laughs> we're aiming for great. There's no point. If something's worth doing, it's worth doing perfectly. That's that's our goal. High expectations. Well, as 2019 comes to a close, we do have some exciting things to close out the year as we look back and think about the last decade. So more on that in a few future shows. So we are closing out the year on a high note, uh, and we've got some good stuff planned as 2019 comes to an end. And Barcelona won two Champions Leagues in this decade as well. So thanks so much for tuning in again. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media too. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at HiltonD13 for me, and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. That closed Facebook group where we got these questions in La Ronda, tbpod.link backslash group for deeper dives and discussions. And you can help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows and check out our quick take match reviews as well as I do a radio spot on Love Sport Radio in the UK every Friday. I've been putting that up as well. And this podcast ad free is also on the Patreon. So now there are three things on that Patreon that are exclusive to you. It's as low as $3, tbpod.link backslash Patreon, and that also helps us continue making new shows. As Frances and I have mentioned, we're also on YouTube. We'd love to get more subscribers. Uh, what I can tell you, just to take the, the roof off things a little bit, we are doing really well on watch time. People seem to be enjoying the content once they find it, but not enough people are finding it, so we just need you to subscribe. Hit that subscription button, and you know you don't even need to turn on notifications. Just hit that subscription button so we can get enough people to be checking out those videos and put it in a, a few more places. So that's at the Barcelona Podcast. It's the same thing here. And again, I have some exclusive content that we don't really talk about. I tease it on the pod, but we don't really get into the nitty-gritty of what I have in those episodes. That's a lot more history uh, and a lot of more predicting uh, predicting and all that so check that out hit that subscription button on youtube but as always if you just listen to the show we thank you so much for listening as well until next time we'll talk to you soon and forza barca forza An ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz summer event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz summer event, now serving limited time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. 
Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.